Good morning and welcome into the show. Thanks for tuning in on this Friday, November the 15th. It is 8 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 5 a.m. super early morning wake-up call. Thanks for tuning in on this Friday morning. Coming up uh, after the break, pleased to be joined by Kenneth Tebow, founder of Motoric FC there in the uh, DMV. And I look forward to to catching up with him to talk to him about his club and uh, lessons he's learned, etc. Before I I get back into something that we ended the show with yesterday, uh, there was some news that uh, that broke after the show, which is that uh, Landon Donovan has been named the uh, head coach of the the newly formed San Diego USL uh, team, the San San Diego Loyal. Um, still not really sure what that name means, but um, he is uh, um, part of that, I believe, the ownership group there and is, uh, has been named the head coach for its inaugural season uh, playing in the USL uh, championship. So um, other news in, in the USL West and concerning head coaches, uh, our, our friend and friend of the show, Eric Winalda, uh, it was announced that he will be back again uh, next season, setting up a uh, head coaching uh, head-to-head between Landon Donovan and Eric Winalda, two U.S. men's national team um, legends, uh, and we, uh, we shall see them going head-to-head uh, on the coaching side of things as well. So uh, big news there on uh, on both of them and uh, in both of their clubs, San Diego and Las Vegas Lights. Now, to get into something that we talked about yesterday, at the end of the episode, we were talking through kind of where we're at in, in, in the state of American soccer with, the, with our club set up, our club structure, our systems, looking at some of the things that uh, when I I was in Amsterdam last week. Uh, some of the things that I that I observed in terms of proximity of clubs to each other, um, even in the same park, they were mul- there were multiple clubs competing head to head, and and you know throughout the city of Amsterdam, there's uh, a lot of clubs, and you see this across the country, just uh, uh, thousands of clubs with within this tiny little country in Europe, uh, the Netherlands. And, and looking at where we're falling short here in the U.S. And, and we finished the show talking about where we could go, where we should go, in my view, and uh, shared a little bit of the conversation that Chris Kessel and I have had off air about uh, what would work and and what kind of concept would work, and we've we've been talking about this on and off for quite a while. We we have uh, talked about you know regionalization. We've talked about you know access and making sure that people can can get to each other uh, you know rather uh, easy and limiting some of the cost. Also playing off this idea of 
of college football and, and what has worked so well with kind of the conference structure set up within college sports, how that has lended itself um, to, to stadium attendance uh, and people driving into these matches, etc. And I want to throw up just a little bit of a, a rough little graphic here of, of kind of a picture of what, what we were kind of talking about at the end of the show yesterday. Had a lot of questions. Um, on uh, on social media afterwards listening to that clip like can you explain a little bit more about what this would look like what would it mean and so i just wanted to kind of start off the show talking for just a minute about uh this idea on on a you know big macro level and and why this i believe is the answer and why it would work uh really well so uh the first uh aspect here is that we have a current infrastructure and system uh, in American soccer that isn't working. Major League Soccer is not reaching um, all of America, and um, and 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 neither is the USL uh, or NISA. Uh, all of these clubs and leagues and and teams are doing what they can, but they are not going to be able to reach. Um, the 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 markets across this country the cities and communities and towns across this market with just a few dozen clubs it's not going to work so what we have to do is unleash the the potential of the american soccer ecosystem and in instead of looking at a few thousand clubs uh, r- roughly right now america has about 9000 clubs across the country to put this in perspective um we could easily have somewhere in the neighborhood of 30,000 clubs uh, or more. So we are maybe a third of where we could be just in the number of clubs um, in this country. So we're nowhere close to tapping into our potential in terms of the quantity of clubs. But when we look at why that is, it's because everything is disconnected. Our system is not connected vertically. It's not connected horizontally. You have everyone kind of running their own fiefdom, their own idea, their own, um, you know, prerogative, and, and no one is really working together. This is the ultimate job of the U.S. Soccer Federation, and they have not been doing it, and it is hurting everyone. And so uh, one of the, 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 the things that, you know, naysayers or critics or skeptics will, will say major league soccer owner operators have invested under one set of rules and it's unfair to change it on them now. Well, what if there was a way to make it better for them? They still would not be at a massive risk for relegation, uh, but we could make it a lot more uh, sustainable for them, a lot more successful financially for them and unlock potential that they can't get to right now. And that is really uh, one of the the benefits of uh, this uh, setup right here with having kind of a super league of America. And this is not meant to necessarily be the title, although, you know, it could be named whatever it's, it's more about the concept that you would have this champions league, UEFA style champions league as our first division every year, the 16 teams, the that would compete in this super league of America would come from the four kind of super conferences in the country. 
So every year you're trying to have a top four finish in, you know, the, the super conference in the East super conference in the South in the Midwest and the West. And those are generally following these region one, two, three, and four setups that us soccer has already established. So you follow those general boundaries and you take the top four finishers. So, you know, if you, if you were to look at, uh, say the, the East, um, that that super conference or power conference uh, set up there. Say you had the New York Cosmos, you had um, DC United, you had uh, NYCFC, and you know, let's say um, the Philadelphia Union are the top four finishers in the uh, the, the Eastern Super Conference, and uh, in that setup. Um, those top, those four finishers would then qualify for the next season's Super League of America. And they would be competing in this kind of first division, um, you know, UEFA style, Champions League style competition on top of playing in their super conference, the Conference East, right? So they're, they're having to try to qualify again for the top four, to stay competing in that Super League. And they are uh, competing every year in that Super Conference East. Now, the benefits to this kind of system is you are rewarding on-field success. You are unlocking a brand new setup that is going to bring in, instead of, you know, a couple dozen markets in what would really be kind of that mainline area of revenue uh, that Major League Soccer is at now, you're talking about 80, 72 to 80 um, clubs across the country that would be uh, playing in that, that what would be de facto second division, but would really be treated as our true first division. So our, our, in the pyramid, our first division would be this annual, um, you know, Champions League style Super League competition the actual, you know, table style league schedule setups would start at that super conference level of the four uh, conferences that's already uh, been established by U.S. soccer in the uh, East, Midwest, South, and West. So by doing that, we've now brought in instead of, you know, 20 to 30 teams, now we're looking at 72 to 80 teams. And um, that that is going to help us tremendously. Why do we need to do this? Well, for one, we need to do this because our country is a continent sized country. And we we should instead of allowing that obstacle to paralyze us from getting this done and getting it done well, we should embrace it. And, and learn from what has worked. And what has worked in America at the college level is the conference setups. And you, you see it play out. And it's actually worked better. I would make the argument that the college conference setup has worked better than the national professional setup. And, the, and here's where I, why I, I say that. When you look at attendance figures, college football in the South, for example, will outdraw the NFL. They'll have over 100,000 in stadiums to watch college football. The NFL is not hitting those numbers. So 
People will drive two to three hours to get to a game, five, six hours to get to a game, eight, nine hours to get to a game. But if New Orleans Saints in the NFL is playing uh, in the NFL and they're going to be playing against the New York Jets, there's not a ton of Saints fans making that game. But if the Saints were in a setup where they're playing the Falcons, but they're also playing Charlotte, they're playing Miami, they're playing Birmingham, they're playing Memphis, you're going to see Saints fans travel more. And their numbers, their attendance numbers would actually increase uh, because you would see more people get interested in those local cities, but also in their regions. So some of these bigger teams, these bigger professional soccer teams would be able to, you know, build off of uh, the same kind of success that Atlanta United has had in the South. Um, Imagine a team in New Orleans, a team in Birmingham, a team in Nashville, Chattanooga. Um, You look at at the, the opportunities of Charlotte and Raleigh, Memphis. You go on and on down into Florida, Miami, Orlando, Jacksonville, Tampa Bay, all of these these cities uh, are are fielding proper what would be classified anywhere else in the world as a first division uh, level uh, club and first team. And, and so that is what this super conference setup would do is it would provide that kind of, of, of setup and environment. The benefit to that is tremendous. We could radically increase our commercial dollars we could radically increase the the buy-in and commitment and loyalty of our fans because they would be able to travel so your your table style leagues that would begin at division two which would would basically be our de facto division one would have these clubs playing regularly in this kind of regionalized super conference power conference style setup of a table style season. Now for those who are going, well, you know, that totally means that New York's never going to play LA and Atlanta's never going to play Seattle and, and Chicago's never going to play Houston. Well, this is where cup tournaments become even more valuable Right now, if, if I'm Major League Soccer and I'm already flying all over the country and then I play a cup game where I have to fly again, it's kind of lost its luster. So how can we turn the obstacle into a, a positive, into a good thing? Um, by having our cup competitions cross over from Super Conference to Super Conference. So you could have, you know, after a certain level, these teams begin to get drawn into cross-conference matchups. So in Atlanta United might be facing off against a New York Cosmos, and an Indy 11 may be facing off uh, against uh, an FC Dallas in a cup competition match. That's something that would draw more interest. 
All of these things make much more logistical sense when you're looking at the potential of revenue that would far outweigh our costs uh, of travel for those one or two, three games uh, throughout the season where you would have this kind of cup style of, uh, you know, tournament or um, event. And and then our, our table finishes, our leagues uh, would keep people in their general geographic boundary. So, um, you know, there's more that, that, uh, that I'd like to get into with this and maybe later in the show after we've had some time to, to, to talk to Kenneth we'll be able to do that but just looking at the top level of this thing um, it really makes a lot of sense it minimizes the uh you know, the exposure to any investor who has already placed a lot of money into their teams and yet at the same time provides a big opportunity and and um, kind of a nugget or a carrot of incentive to uh, to invest even more, to build their clubs and build their teams into real bona fide um power clubs, super clubs uh, that can really, really compete on uh, an international level. Um, This is the kind of system that would do that. And it would drive growth and give us the kind of revenue that we could attain from television revenue, et cetera, that could begin to fund the pyramid, solidarity payments, training compensation, promotion uh, purses, et cetera, as well as relegation, uh, parachute payments, all of those things would be able to, to come through a system and structure like this and would for the first time in American soccer, give us some structure to, to help us in a healthy way, grow the game at all levels and in all areas. So the focus would be on sporting merit, doing what you do well in the field and doing it well, but yet at the same time getting rewarded for it and not necessarily having to go bankrupt over it. So um, it's, to me, it's a really, really uh, you know logical way to overcome the obstacle uh, in our path. Um, and, and later in the show, we'll get into some of the, the questions that's been asked on social media since we uh, talked about this yesterday and get into more some, uh, of the pyramid. Uh, but our, our, before we do, uh, our sponsor this half hour is, Ductig brand, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. If you have not ordered your winter gear, your new notebook, the standard size notebook, you should check them out at ductigbrand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. Use promo code D-W-SHOW and you will get 10% off of your order at ductigbrand.com. We'll be right back after this.
Welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in today, this Friday morning. We are delighted to be joined by Kenneth Tebow. Ken, how are Kenneth? How are you this morning? Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, great to be here. Doing good. It's an honor to be on the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for for joining us. We wanted to have you on and kind of talk a little bit about your club, the the origin of the club, why you decided to uh, to create Motoric in in this whole idea. So, uh, give us a little bit of background. What is the origin story for your club name? What where where does all that inspiration come from? Uh, sure. Um, <clears throat> I mean, basically, you know, uh, well, I call it football, so I'll just stick with football for my speech. Uh, I, you know, football has been a part of my life uh, for my entire life. Growing up in the suburbs of D.C., it's a very uh, cosmopolitan area. You got a lot of families from the World Bank, from the embassies. You got a lot of um, immigrant families here. So football is, is pretty big in this area. Um and so I basically played as a youth. Uh, then, you know, when uh, MLS came about, I, I became a DC United fan. Um, spent a couple years at RFK Stadium supporting United. Uh, but then also started to get deeper into the lower division scene. Started following a lot of lower division clubs in this area, like... Um, Real Maryland, they were a club in the PDL. I think, I think they might have played in the USL uh, as well. Um, we had the the Northern Virginia Royals, just clubs like that. And I really like the the atmosphere of the lower division matches, um, and that just got me to follow it deeper and deeper on a more national level, following the MPSL, seeing the rise of clubs like Chattanooga, Detroit. Um, and just seeing all these exciting developments going on in other communities that you no- normally wouldn't have associated as being kind of football friendly, um, but not really seeing anything that exciting going on in this area. You, I mean, you have a lot of, you have a big youth club scene, um, but on the elite amateur level, there wasn't anything really ambitious going on. So, one day I just decided instead of sitting on my hands and waiting for somebody to present something for me to get excited about, I, I should maybe just go ahead and try to do it on my own. And that's basically when the idea for Motorix started to germinate. In looking at the, you know, what you're classifying as elite amateur soccer, um, what inspired you to, to kind of head in that direction elite amateur was it the fact that there just wasn't a club in in your area or or you know that that was what you would classify as elite amateur or was that kind of you know a space that you were more passionate about uh you know in terms of that level of soccer what what kind of you know guided you in the direction of you know forming motoric but forming it as an elite amateur club well, I mean, yeah, the, here in Fairfax County, you didn't really have any prominent clubs. Um, in Alexandria City, you have like the Alexandria Soccer Association who have their Alexandria Reds. They're pretty prominent. 
Um, and then in Loudoun County next door, you had the uh, Evergreen, the Virginia Hammers. Um, but there wasn't anything here. And I wanted a club that I could support as locally as possible and something that could serve the people of Fairfax County. Um, but obviously, I think the most, uh, yeah, the most obvious impetus for joining Elite Amateur was the financial aspect of it and just the fact that it was the most realistic for whatever resources I was going to invest in a club. Um, so just knowing that the costs were minimal, the travel was minimal, those were uh, very enticing aspects of this level. Looking at, you know, forming a, a club from the ground up, um, everyone, I'm sure, uh, you you follow in this as well, has a dream, uh, an ultimate, you know, uh, dream that if if you could wave a magic wand, you could work really hard, you can make things come together, you know, finances, uh, everything, uh, you know, could, could be exactly as you would, would want and hope. And when you're looking at that dream, um, for you, when you look at Motorik, that dream of a club, what, what would you like Motorik to be able to eventually, grow into is it to remain at this elite amateur level or would would your ultimate dream be able to 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 build it big into a you know a professional level enterprise yeah i mean you know after you've been kind of in the trenches for long enough you kind of don't don't dream as much uh you know when you first go into it you're pretty naive and you're pretty ignorant about the reality. So you have these pie in the sky ambitions. Um, and then after a while, you're just happy if you can get your guys out to training, that's like a, the perfect club for you. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I don't really dream like too far ahead. Um, because there's always the struggle just to be sustainable at the level that you're at. So you ha kind of have to temper yourself in terms of having a grander vision. Um, but, and for me, I mean, right now, <clears throat> my, my biggest priority is just building a team that can win at the level that we're at. And I feel like if the club does grow, it should sort of grow organically as the squad grows, like as the squad becomes stronger um, because I also like the idea of moving forward with the guys that we have because the guys have been very loyal and very committed and I, and I want kind of the club to facilitate opportunities for them, whether that's, you know, latching on to other clubs or growing with us. Um, so I feel like <clears throat> our success on the pitch is really what would warrant me trying to take us to another level. I mean, I know we don't have like a genuine pro rail system in this country where sporting merit dictates where you go, how far you can go or whether you're going to just be stagnant. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to see ours. Cause right now it would just seem kind of like a joke. I mean, in our area we have, you know, I, I posted about this earlier on Twitter, but in this area we have massive juggernauts like Christos FC. We have successful clubs like Yins United. They've become very established. I mean, Chris, Christos, they've worked over decades to, to get where they are now and to be as dominant as they are now. And, and I just feel like there, there's just something cheap about it. If, if we could just spend money just to sort of join an, a national league and, you know, no matter where 
the quality of our squads at because we're at this level now or we're national we're somehow greater than those clubs or more relevant than those clubs um you know i mean there's been an ongoing debate uh whether national really is that much better than regional and and i know for a fact having faced some of these regional juggernauts um the quality is is just as good if not superior in terms of players, where where do you go to get your players? Uh, are they from the Northern Virginia area? Uh, are they all over D.C.? How do you find them, scout them? Is it networking? How are you finding these players? What are their ages? What are their backgrounds? Are they college guys? You know, Give us a little bit of insight into kind of the Motorix squad. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've sort of had to wing it with a different approach because I think a lot of clubs, basically they're founded by coaches who've already been attached to some sort of youth academy system. They know players, they have players that, that they can already set as their roster when they create their club. But uh, when Motorik was created, it was mostly created as a concept, as an idea. We, I didn't even have any player. I mean, it was funny because early on uh, the Washington premier league, they were heavy on recruiting us and I spoke with their president and he asked me how many players I had. And I basically had to tell him zero. So we, we had to start, start from scratch. Um, I got lucky. There was one player that joined us, uh, Freddie Rodriguez. He's still with us today. He, he helped a lot with recruiting. Um, we just kind of tried to spread the word through social media about our tryouts and, and basically, so you get your first wave of players, um, you know, the quality might not be there, but at least you've, you've filled out your roster and then you, those players send out uh, word of mouth to their communities. Um, we, we basically, a lot of our players are from Woodbridge, which is South of Fairfax County and Prince William County. Um, we get a lot of players from that area just through word of mouth. And, um, over time though, you know, some guys we've realized just don't have what it takes to succeed at this level. So we have tryouts, we cut some guys, uh, we, we always add some, um, but it's kind of hard because this area, it's kind of cluttered in terms of clubs. So there's a lot of, um, competition for recruitment. And like last fall, when we started our first Maryland majors, uh, fall season, we felt we were pretty strong with the roster we had, but then some UPSL club popped up right before our season. And basically we lost like half our starting lineup to them. So it's always, it's always a struggle because for me, the way to really build a successful club is to have a, a consistent roster season after season that can build chemistry can build an understanding you have good camaraderie good morale um so if you have to keep you know basically restocking from scratch it doesn't help but i feel like now we've developed a lot of loyalty amongst our guys i mean we treat our guys with the highest respect we we encourage them to be leaders within the squad it's it's kind of our club is run more as a collaboration than having a hierarchy um so I feel confident that we'll be able to retain our guys over the seasons and then also add strength for, I mean, for us, the biggest thing we have to do is also starting out our roster. We, we kind of gathered a lot of very young players, 
But a league like the Maryland Majors, it's not a developmental league. These are veteran players. Most of the rosters, the ages of their players are like 25 to 30, whereas our roster was comprised of like 19, 20-year-olds. So they've had to like really get up to speed to, to handle the level of quality talent that's at our league. So my objective is, I mean, to keep the guys that we have that I've seen progress and, and have felt comfortable sharing the pitch with these older guys. Um, but over time, I think I do have to start getting an older roster and more experienced roster to succeed, especially if we moved up to the first division where clubs like Christos are waiting. When you are looking at, you know, the, this entire project and creating a club, um, what has been your approach to creating a supporter culture or building a fan base uh, or, or followers? So what is, what has been your approach to that? What has been your experience so far? Lessons learned, etc. cetera. Um, yeah, we've, we've been more successful kind of getting a, a virtual support. Um, we've, we've gotten a lot of acknowledgement around the region, around the country. Uh, but locally, you know, just getting people out on Sundays to watch elite amateur, uh, football, that's been a lot more difficult. I mean, I, I kind of knew it would be a challenge going in because all the Washington premier league matches I've seen, uh, in the area, you know, I, I never saw supporters there. Maybe if there were like three people, that would be great. Um, so I still haven't really figured out that magic formula. But also at the same time, because, you know, like our performance last year was very subpar. And we were still kind of feeling our way uh, dealing with the county in terms of securing facilities. Um, we sort of jumped around from pitch to pitch. So I, I didn't feel like we had a good foundation for me to sort of promote the club to garner support. I didn't necessarily want people to come out and see a product that wasn't, you know, ideal yet. Um, so I ha I didn't really put too much effort in that area last year. But now that we're a little more stable and now like this season, we've been using West Potomac High School in Alexandria, which is cool because it's in Alexandria. Um so it gives us, you know, the local identity that goes along with our name. And also it's like around 3000 seater. So that kind of inspires me to do a lot more outreach and such, but, but it's also difficult because it's something where you'd want your squad to get involved, uh, to go out to events and things like that. But we, you know, we have a lot of guys who are basically just working class guys and have a lot of responsibility with work or school so it's sort of difficult to put those additional promotional responsibilities on them because they're already sacrificing so much just to play, just to come out to training and, you know, give their efforts on Sunday. Um, but now that we have a more, plus also, you know, since it was something new for me that I was sort of feeling my way through and I wasn't confident if it was something that I was really meant to do or that I really wanted to carry on. Uh, for an extended period. Um, but now I definitely know that it is my calling. So I think this coming year we'll, we'll put more effort and investment in uh, marketing the team and building a local community. I mean, for the most part, we're like, we're very active 
on social media. Um, but for me, the, the bigger sort of, um, profit that was taken from social media is connecting with other clubs, connecting with other general managers, uh, getting some pretty high profile friendlies. Like we've played up against a, a couple NPSL clubs that we probably wouldn't get those opportunities if we didn't work it on social media. Um, so yeah, so right now it's, for me, it's been more just sort of getting oriented to, to the community of clubs and leagues um, than sort of getting supporters. In terms of uh, creating a club that is sustainable uh, from a financial standpoint, operating at an elite amateur level in, in the area that you're operating with the schedule um, and in you know geographic uh, travel schedule and itinerary as well, um, what has that process been like for you? Because I know when when you talk about starting a club um, and getting a, a club off the ground, everyone's trying to sort out, okay, how are we going to pay for this? So how, how have you managed to figure out a, a pathway to sustainability? Um, well, first of all, uh, before you start thinking about revenues, you you have to basically learn how to spend smart. Uh, I'd say last year, uh, I was very uh, delusionally spendthrifty. Um, like we we played a friendly against Atlantic City FC in Atlantic City, and I put our whole squad up at the Tropicana for a night uh, to sort of augment the experience. Uh, when we came out the gate, I, I like I produced three different scarves for the club. Um, there, and, you know, and I thought maybe we could, uh, charge for our matches and bring in revenue that way. But so instead of the nonprofit rental fee, which basically would be 50 bucks a match, we were spending $300 a match. Um, so I learned a lot of lessons in that sense and how to keep costs to a minimum. Now, basically it's just you know, league fees, facility fees, ref fees, and that's pretty much all we spend our money on. Um, so yeah, spending smart is probably the first key before you even start thinking about revenues and such. But in terms of revenues, um, well, we've put a lot of effort into our merchandise. Um, you know, there's a lot of competition at this level in terms of hawking your jerseys and such so we've kind of focused on putting some quality there um you know the scars the t-shirts we always just try to push our merch uh but then also i i don't think that's ever going to get you to the level you need to be to really be sustainable so it's um really up to finding sponsors uh to help keep you afloat and then i mean at this level you're gonna have to take out of your pocket. Um, that's always inevitable as well. So, uh, most of the financing in this first, I guess, two years now would be basically just straight out of my pocket. When, you know, looking at, uh, playing in a Maryland majors type setup, what is the schedule? Uh, is it, is it a fall to spring? Is it a summer season only? Like what, what is the, the setup for the Maryland majors and what, what 
or, or how did that factor rather into your decision to play with uh, Maryland majors? Um, yeah, I like it. They have the uh, fall spring with seasons, which are split up. Um, you know, every fall you have your champions and your promotion relegation and then every spring. And, and basically I like that. I like that they had promotion relegation. It, it sort of made the competition seem more exciting to me because there was more at stake. Um, also I, I just knowing the prestige and the challenge of facing a club like Christos, uh, that was a big inspiration for me to join the Maryland majors. Cause like I said, I, it could have been the Maryland majors or the Washington premier league, but I just felt like the Maryland majors, they were very organized in the way they were set up. Um, they did outreach on social media and things like that. So I just felt like that was probably the league for us. Plus I, I'm, I'm a Marylander expat, so I already have an affinity and affection for Maryland. So that was kind of attractive for me to play in their league. What is the kind of geographic uh, boundary for Maryland majors? Is it the Metro DC area or is it kind of a state league for the audience? that's maybe not familiar with the DMV. Um, give us a little bit of a background on Maryland majors as a league and, and kind of the geographic footprint uh, as well. Well, at our, at our level, cause we still play in the second division. Um, fortunately for us, it's split into North and South. So the North it's more uh, Baltimore. Um, the counties North of Baltimore. Um, and then here in the South, it's, it's I guess the northernly most part of it is Columbia, Maryland, um, which is just beyond the Beltway. I'd say our longest road trips are like maybe an hour or so. Um, but I think they're going to try to start expanding more in Virginia and around the Beltway. There are a couple clubs now that joined this year around the Beltway, like uh, Limitless FC. Um, we also have a club that's kind of a military club based around uh, Fort Meade, which is up north. Um, but yeah, it's basically concentrated around the I-95 corridor between Baltimore and D.C. So is the first division um, like the entire state, kind of north-south, the whole thing, and then they regionalize at Division Two? Yeah, yeah. So basically, if, if we got promoted, we'd start playing more games in Baltimore and against those clubs up there. So gotcha. our, our travel would increase. Um, but for the for the second division, it's it split regionally, yeah. So looking at where you are and what you're trying to build, um, when you are looking at promotion and, and winning promotion, um going from a setup right now that would have kind of this uh, regional split at division two to a statewide split. Um, is it a higher cost uh, that would be detrimental being promoted into the first division? Or is it something you think you can manage uh, even at that elite amateur level playing in the Maryland majors? Yeah, I don't think it would make a difference. I mean, travel wise, we basically just carpool, so there aren't really any expenses there. 
Um, I mean, we tried when we played, I think it was, was it against Charlottesville, which is about two and a half hours out West. Uh, we, we tried for the first time renting a van to do that. And, uh, we, we basically were overcharged like a thousand dollars or so. So we just decided to go back to our normal routine where we just basically carpool. So I don't think the travel is that much, um, more, it won't be more at all. Just whatever personal gas anybody's paying. Um, I think the fees are basically the same. And, but the payoff for winning it is, I think, I think it's like $2,500 for winning the first division. So there's an increase there, but no, for, for us, what's the most daunting aspect of going up to the first division is just the, the immense, uh, increase in the quality of the talent that we'd face. Um, I mean, between second and first division, it, it's like a world apart, uh, we had a club this last season, Columbia FC, which we kind of considered the juggernauts of Division Two. They basically rolled over every club in Division Two. Um, they moved up this season, and I think they maybe won like one game. And I mean, they have an immensely talented squad, but they've been steamrolled in a couple matches as well, so they're coming back down. So the most daunting aspect of the promotion is just, I mean, not only do you have to build the squad that would you know dominate your level you also have to anticipate that if you go up it's going to be a whole other level and if you hope to stay there you really got to increase the talent of your squad but in terms of costs or organizational concerns there there isn't really any when you're looking at um the the promotion relegation set up in your local area with the Maryland majors and the experiences, the things you're talking about, about having to have the pressure to win, having to improve your roster as you move up, that the talent level and the competition level continues to rise, get better, forces you to, uh, you know, to invest uh, or, or maybe, you know, recruit smarter, etc. How would that, aspect that you're experiencing on a, on a regular basis there um, in your local context, how, how do you think that would influence and affect and alter um, American soccer at large if that was the landscape for every club in America connected together uh, regionally, sub-regionally, locally, um, but having the opportunity to go up and yet the pressures as well to, uh, to perform and, and really do well on the field as well as off the field. How would that, how would that change what we see on a regular basis in American soccer? Yeah. I mean, if I'm projecting my own experience, I know for me, like, you know, if we had a season where we came in second place in the second division or third, like, you know, we had a good winning season and we, we almost made it. I wouldn't be able to take any contentment from that. If, if this were just a static league where you're not going anywhere, you know, second or third, that's cool. We can pat ourselves on the back. Good season. We'll come back next year. We'll go again. But when you've got promotion there, you know, and that's the objective, anything short of that is just a complete disappointment. And, and you cannot take solace in anything but, you know, 100% success because now we're just stuck back at the same level that we're at. Um, it puts a lot more pressure on constantly improving 
Um, because yeah, you, you can't take any satisfaction in anything, but, but being the best. Um, and I think that would, that would affect it in other ways in, in other leagues and higher leagues. If you, um, if you could give one, and maybe it's more than one, but uh, tip, lesson, uh, etc. To maybe there's a group of guys, a group of ladies in this country, and they're um, you know looking at forming a club, and they want to start something from scratch. They want to build something in their local context. Um, what would be a piece of advice that you would give to them? Uh, maybe it's it's something you've learned through experience. Maybe it's something that uh, you wish you would have known before you got started. But uh, what would be something that you would want to convey to them that maybe they could use in their planning and in in preparation? Uh, just basically be realistic. That would be my main thing like be realistic about your expectations be realistic about where you are at and what your club actually is at every level um don't don't get caught up in the bubble that that can make you you know perceive yourself or even football in america as something bigger than it is as, as something more accommodating than it is um be be ready to face like a massive struggle uh, this is going to consume a lot of your time, a lot of your thoughts. So just be ready to give yourself over it to a hundred percent and, um, expect a lot of struggle, expect a lot of failure, but just learn from it all, fight from for, through it all, stick with it. And, um, you know, and just try, try to surround yourself with as many people who have expertise that can help you out in the journey as possible. And, uh, just, just do it. But, and yeah, and if you're thinking about doing it, just do it, you know, throw yourself into it and see what happens. And just be ready to spend a lot of money. <laughs> great, <laughs> great advice there. How can people connect with you and your club, learn more about you, maybe buy some merch, uh, what have you, um, to, to know, um, obviously, to, to listen to the story today, but also to connect with you afterwards? Uh, probably the best interface is our Twitter, which is at uh, Motoric FC. Uh, that's M-O-T-O-R-I-K-F-C. Um, and we're very receptive. If you reach out to us, we'll respond. Um, and then we have a website, motoricfc.com, where there's a web store. You can find some of our gear there. Uh, it's not really fleshed out as, as much as we like it to be as a website, but there you have it. And um, yeah, that's about it. Well, look, Kenneth, thank you for uh, for joining us on the show today. We really appreciate your time sharing your uh, real world experience. A lot of times people, you know, they see the bright lights and they look at FC Barcelona and they think, man, let me start a club and I can get there in, in five years. Uh, but but there are realities to building, uh, just like building a business, uh, building this uh, club culture in America as well. And uh, I appreciate you sharing the behind the scenes of Motorik and uh, best of luck. As you uh, continue yeah. to build I mean, your project, but I want to clarify though, I, I don't want to downplay it too much because no matter what you experience running the club during the week, when you, when you have that euphoria of those two hours during on match day during competition, it, it makes it all well worth it. 
Yep, I completely agree. Um, and uh, that that's why we do what we do, man. We love the game, the yeah. passion for the game. Absolutely. Well, Kenneth, thanks for joining the show. We really appreciate it. We look forward to having you back on again soon. Great. Have a great day. Thank you. That is Kenneth Tebow of Motoric FC. We'll be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. You could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. show i'd like to thank uh, kenneth for coming on the show and uh and, and talking about motoric and uh his endeavors it, it is so I- I- encouraging to see and hear from people who are putting their neck on the line building a dream trying to build something right in their own city in their own area and uh, you go into things and you you know you you hope for certain things but then you reality sets in um and and you learn lessons but uh you know, when you're trying to build something great, it's generally not going to happen overnight. And, um, and, and so you can tell, uh, in, in guys like Kenneth who, who live, breathe the game, that this is a passion project and, uh, you know, best of luck to him as he continues to build out Motorik. If you're uh, in the area, you should check out one of their, their games. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure he'd love to meet you. Um, Getting back to kind of where we were at the beginning of the show uh, was picking up um, kind of where we left off yesterday's show, and we were talking through this idea that I laid out uh, yesterday at the end, um, talking about how could we overcome the obstacle that is a continent-sized country. And, um, you know, I, I, I explained some things yesterday uh, about, you know, a general concept. We released a little bit of a graphic of, of the idea um, later in the day. And uh, today we've been kind of pulling that up on the show and looking at uh, some of the, the structure of this idea and why it makes sense. And uh, the basic structure is this, that you have kind of this Champions League style, uh, UEFA Champions League style uh, first division 
where you your top four finishes from each of these kind of um, I would I would consider them like a super conference um, or a power conference if you think of it in college sports uh, uh, setups. So if you finish top four in the super conference in the West, you qualify for next year's kind of super league of America, this champions league style setup. So you, you continue to play in your super conference, but you're also playing in this champions league style. So, um, if you are an LAFC and you finish top four in your super conference out in the West, um, you will be in a group with, you know, one team from the, the, each of the other three super conferences. So all of that would be kind of cross super conference, uh, setups, each of those original groups. And it would play out over the course of the years, your first division, but at the same time, you are um, having to uh, to still compete in your super conference uh, for your regular season kind of table style finish. So it is uh, it is a way to overcome the unique challenge that is uh, continent sized country. And I think it it also creates a scenario where we can leverage the the vast size of this country. Uh, from a geographical standpoint, but also leverage our uh, population size. We have so much potential here. We don't tap into it at all and uh, or very, very, very little of it. And so this is a way that we could really turn the lights on in cities and in communities. Um, we really need to get away from this idea of, of you know, focusing everything on, um, you know, artificial scarcity um you have to get three or four or five clubs to merge together just so you can be powerful enough to get into the da or this or that all of that needs to go away we need to just have tables you finish well you move up if you don't finish well you move down if you finish in the middle you stay where you are and and link everything together adult youth etc get, get rid of the travel uh, the excessive travel as much as possible we need to mitigate that and limit that as much as possible not exacerbate uh, what is an obstacle so when we when we look at that and we look at that from a, a concept of first teams and professional football and 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 semi professional and amateur uh, prof, uh, f- football as well, how can we get more professional teams? How can we get them to to be more sustainable? One of the things we need to do is have a system that brings in more revenue, more commercial dollars. If we create more attraction, if we create a, a bigger audience, if we create more excitement, more passion from the fans in this country, we're going to be able to get access to more sponsors, more TV dollars, etc. And in so doing, that's going to benefit the entire pyramid when it's set up properly. So this idea of having this kind of Champions League style in the first division and then these super conferences in the second division, which are really our de facto kind of first division setups, that's where we got to look to go the next step down, kind of your NISA level, USL League One, um, you know, Chattanooga's Detroit's that are working their way and about to become, um, you know, NISA member level type clubs as well in this kind of third division 
of American soccer. And taking kind of where we're at with uh, this kind of U.S. soccer region one, two, three, and four, building off of that idea as, as the boundaries of these super conferences, you then go inside of those super conferences and you, and you carve those up as well. And uh, you build those into some regional leagues um, you know, so maybe that maybe you have, uh, uh, you know, just for the sake of labeling, you, you start at the Super League of America, then you have the super conferences, the four super conferences, and then inside of each super conference, maybe you have four super regional leagues, um, just for the sake of, of, of kind of following along with this logic. And each of those four super regional leagues would be operating in a table style league and they would, you know, finish uh, and enter into a promotion playoff setup that would eventually pit them against a promotion playoff with the super conference teams that are up for possible relegation in a setup like this. Um, you would have basically four of these super regionals inside of each super conference. And, and then every level, you know, you go down, you're working your way into a fourth division that would have uh, 32 of these regionalista or regional style leagues. Um, so you would have kind of two making up each of these kind of super regional leagues above them. And, once you get to that level, the next step down are your kind of state leagues um, and, and kind of city league setups. So in doing this, what we would do is is create a structure and a system that would, for the first time in American soccer, give us the ability to connect all of our leagues. We've, we've seen it on the show this week. Our current dysfunctional system pits leagues against each other, turns clubs against each other because maybe they have different goals. Maybe they have different ambitions. Maybe they see themselves in the way they operate or, or, or their purpose being different in a connected system of leagues. There is only one, one purpose. There's only one path and that is to win on the field and your off the field operations will aid you greatly in in being successful on the field, but it will get all of our clubs addressing all of the, the areas in order to, to be quality clubs. And that's ideally what we want. We want a healthy club culture in American soccer, and we don't have it right now. The other thing that this setup does is it goes wide rather than trying to go deep. And here's why that matters. The U.S. has a lot of big cities, a lot of areas that could easily support a really big professional club. We have cities that could, could support multiple big professional clubs. And I'm not just talking about New York or L.A. I'm talking about cities like Atlanta, Pittsburgh, Dallas, Houston could all support multiple professional clubs in cities throughout this country would fit that same bill. So we need a system that allows us to regionalize as quick as possible, not just to limit 
expenses like travel, etc., but also to bring more of these clubs to the table to get fans more accessible to the game. We need to stop thinking about our our leagues as having to be national in the first, second, third, fourth division and, and, and having teams fly from Miami to Seattle to Chicago to New York to L.A. and instead get to what really matters in the context of a domestic calendar and domestic schedule. And that is the ability for fans to get to matches. When we create that kind of access for the fans, we're also going to create more access for the families, for the players, for the youth systems, more clubs, more opportunities, more access. And in the end, American soccer is going to be better for it. If we had 72 to 80 of these clubs operating in our top uh, table style league setup in these super conferences with a third division on paper, but would technically be our second division that would, would house 16 of these kind of super regional professional leagues. You're talking about a lot of teams. You're talking about taking the English pyramid in the Premier League, the Championship, League One, and League Two, and nearly combining that alone into our Super Conference setup. That's not even getting into our third division of having Super Regional-style leagues under and part of our Super Conferences. We've got to think about getting wide as quick as possible and allowing the entire pyramid to mature, grow commercially, become more financially viable so that a club in in West Virginia, a club in Kentucky, a club in Ohio, a club in Wyoming can develop a really good player and see that player make it and have the funding in the system for that club to get rewarded. That's solidarity payments and training compensation. We need that in American soccer. We're paying a lot of money, these families across the country, to, to, to do a really expensive pay-to-play youth soccer. It's not working. We're locking families out. We're locking cities out. We're locking entire states out of access to the top levels of American youth soccer. That's silly. It's ridiculous. And we could be doing things a lot smarter than we are if we try. We put a man on the moon in less than 10 years. We certainly should be able to get a system that connects all of our clubs in the same amount of time. This system and this idea, this plan would not put billionaires and millionaires at more financial risk. Instead, we would be giving them more opportunities to gain and earn more, to build something way beyond what they could do right now with Major League Soccer and that business plan that hasn't worked in over 20 years. Major League Soccer's not made them money. It's been their no-bid contract with U.S. Soccer through their other company, Soccer United Marketing, that has kept Major League Soccer afloat. Otherwise, it would have already failed. 
So we can't sit here and say that what we're doing is working. It's not. And we could do so much better if we would open our minds and look at our challenges, our obstacles, and and turn those into the way forward rather into getting overwhelmed or viewing them as a deterrent to progress. If we embraced our continent-sized country and knew that together we are stronger, that we could build an American ecosystem in, in the sport of soccer unrivaled in the world, we could unleash the greatest sporting success in a generation. We could do it if we try. Thanks for watching the show today. Really appreciate you tuning in. As always, you can watch the show on danielworkman.com or at facebook.com forward slash WRKMN. You can always catch me on Twitter or Instagram at Daniel Workman. As always, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.